0: Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Comic Book Herald Live, everybody. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Let's turn things off a little differently today for a special CBH Thursday live stream. As you're coming in here, let me know if you can hear everything, if you can see everything, if there are any issues with the stream, we're gonna get started. We're gonna start off with something different today. Courtesy of Bird Nerd here live in the chat. Previously On Alpha Flight, Department H has aligned with Orcus. Alpha Flight is supposed to be gathering fugitive mutants into custody, but instead, Alpha Flight have been using their platform to rescue mutants under Department H's nose. Heather Hudson is the new nemesis, but the Onyx sword is draining her life since she is neither dead nor killing via sword. Currently, Department H is onto Alpha Flight's plans and sent in box sentinels to escort feedback into custody. Comic left on a cliffhanger, with Department H sending sentinels to Krakoa North. Hey, everybody, welcome to CBH Live. That was previously on Alpha Flight. That is a segment that will never be returning, but I hope you enjoyed it happening once. Perhaps, perhaps we could do it another time if Bird Nerd is so generous. To the rest of you in the comments, please uh, s- send everything, any questions, any thoughts, literally everything you have, except for anything to do with Alpha Flight. <laughs> it has now been covered. We are Good. Today, we're going to talk about comics. Uh, We're moving the streams to Thursdays because apparently people like to have read the comics and have had time to do so (laughs) before we do a live stream, which is totally fair and I am game to enjoy. Now, the problem for me with moving the streams to Thursday is that in my head now, I was like, oh, I have so much more time. It's not Wednesday, it's Thursday. I have so much more time. So I actually read fewer comics than <laughs> I had I had hoped to and that I had anticipated. But the good news is I read all the good ones. And I also have frankly a lot, a lot, a lot that we can talk about today. But again, if you're here live, get in your questions, get in your thoughts. I'm happy to speak to them and uh, and we can have fun doing so. Let's just have a fun time, right? Let's have a good time. Uh, JJ says, I thought you'd ban anyone talking about Alpha Flight. It's true, the ban is now back in effect, but we had to credit Bird Nerd for it. I did request a synopsis to, to, you know, I listen, my Alpha Flight um, dismissal is well documented, both here and especially on My Marvelous Year, a podcast where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. We are currently on the year 2005. Our New Avengers and Young Avengers episode just released it's very good I highly recommend you all listen I've said it before and I'll say it again the My Marvelous Year podcast that I do with Charlotte and Zach is so much better than CBH live streams <laughs> if you like these even a little bit then you are definitely going to love the My Marvelous Year uh, uh, podcast it's awesome truly like it's I I think it's actually listen I don't want to say it's the best comics podcast but I think that you'll find that it is <laughs> That's all I gotta say about that. So check out my Marvel this year, uh, but getting your thoughts, getting your questions, all that fun stuff, and I'll address it as we go. Okay, things we might talk about today: Marvel's Spider-Man Two. I am like ninety percent done. I think. Fan casting X-Men relaunch in twenty twenty-four. I've got some thoughts coming out in this week's newsletter about who should be writing these books, what those books should be. We'll talk a little bit about the fall of the powerhouse of X. Um, some some released images. That came out today. I don't know that any like news necessarily, but we're getting more and more detail about what that's going to look like and what books will be coming out. And let's see. Oh, and then I have a big question. Here's a big question throughout the stream today. I saw a question. And I've gotten this question a lot. Uh, people have been asking, and it, it finally dawned on me. It dawned of vex on me that, uh, listen, the fall and the rise are coming. The end of Krakoa is like not far away. Like it's very close now. And it's about time that somebody with some sort of presence and uh, has established themselves as a voice of this era that they listed out the essential Krakoa, the Collected Editions. So that's a YouTube video that is going to be coming, I think. I'll probably make an actual video. Um, It's going to be the essential Krakoa but through Collected Editions. Now, my challenge, my challenge is I'm because this is House of X and Powers of 10, and uh, and Ten of Swords was an event in this. I am trying to do it exclusively in 10 collections. I want to give the world here's how you read through the essential Krakoa in 10 collected editions. I've got it to like 12 or 13 right now, and I'm gonna need your help. So I'll share that list, we can talk about that, but I want people's thoughts. On Okay, if you're going to give somebody the essential collections of the last four years, what are you handing them? What has to be included? Okay, that's the big question throughout this week's stream. I'm seeing some comments in here about the Marvels and MCU stuff. I have not seen the Marvels yet. Uh, I am hoping to see it, uh, let's see, four or five days from now. Uh, I'm actually... I went from... From, oh, no, this seems disastrous to actually it seems like most people that I like um, and most like people whose opinions I tend to enjoy seem to be having a pretty good time with this movie. Not exclusively, not exclusively, but like a lot of the voices in in media criticism that I respect and enjoy were like generally positive about the Marvel. So I'm actually kind of excited to see it now. No, I'm very excited to see it. Um, obviously there's all sorts of counter narratives and MCU wildness that is going on around that. Uh, I, I don't find most of it very interesting, honestly, but yeah, we can probably next week's stream. Once I have seen the Marvels, I will do a full, the Marvels take and, uh, and, you know, just talk about any of it. I did see, I'm seeing JD asks here in the live stream. Did you see the end of Loki? I did actually see the end of Loki. So I was, I was pretty down on it. I liked episode one a lot. And then I did like a speed binge on two through five all in one night and did not enjoy it. Um, but I do think the second, the last episode was quite good. It maintained Loki's streak of going out on a really high note um, of, of really big stuff. Uh, I think, I guess I have, I have a lot of Loki thoughts and I don't want to spend the whole stream doing it. Um, it was fun. It definitely was not as good as season one. I think the MCU on... Disney plot the MCU as a TV enterprise, I think is one of the biggest missteps of the last of the post Endgame experience. Um, I am of the mind that they should probably just stop doing TV. I think it has diluted their product. It has it has really drastically reduced the sense of importance and high quality thresholds that the MCU films were able to maintain you know, from 2008 to 2019, uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's comparable to, you know, some of the problems that Marvel Comics face, which is just flooding the market with stuff. And, you know, this sense of like, well, they might be publishing four really great comics, but they publish 75 every week and just flooding the market to the point that the the averages, you know, the quality of like your average product is just dragged way, way down. Um, so I, I think tv has done that to marvel they kind of don't know how to do it frankly uh there are series. I, I mean i love the way it started i think like like it seemed like a great idea <laughs> like during the pandemic right like with wandavision and and then with loki uh and then it just it has i think consistently reiterated that there are some fun additions to the marvel cinematic universe but i don't think tv they just don't know how to do it frankly um I, I think stopping, recalibrating, which kind of seems, to, you know, there seems to be some some tea leaves there that maybe Marvel is finally like, Kevin Feige and co are finally like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's get this train back on the rails again. Um, I think like pausing TV would be a great way to do that. Uh, it, at the very least, they seem to be slowing down. And that's a great first step. Uh, I see him Birdner here say, Echo looks sick though. The trailer looked really good. But I mean, it did also look like, You know, like, oh, cool, like, Netflix Daredevil is back. Um, I really like Netflix Daredevil, but I I don't know that the MCU just trying to recapture what we liked about that show uh, is, is like, real positive momentum forward, you know? Um, It's a little aggressive. Uh, So, I mean, yes, it's unrealistic. There's no way they actually stop. Um, Disney would have to abandon Disney Plus as an enterprise, which seemingly they are not going to do although who knows these days the way uh the streaming wars are going and netflix is just kind of owning everyone um although i guess partially that's just because you know what i I noticed the other day and i'm probably not the first person to notice this but like you turn on netflix now and it's like hey here watch insecure from hbo and it's like hbo gave up or max i guess and and wb they gave up so hard that netflix just has their shows now (laughs) what the hell that blew my mind That blew my mind. I was like, what happened to the streaming wars? You just gave up completely? I I don't understand anything WB and and HBO Max are doing. Um, Nor will I, probably, for the foreseeable future. Uh, But anyway, I think slowing down the TV content, slowing down the movie, just slowing down everything. Slow down the fire hose. Make it important again. Make it essential. Um, You know, the best thing about the original MCU experience was it was two, two, three movies a year. And even within that, you had folks complaining about like all the superhero content they had to keep up with. That was with like, like three weekends a year, you know, like, like eight hours of time a year or whatever. Uh, TV just makes that uh, just like unconscionable to some folks. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited to see the Marvels. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for Marvel to take a step back. I, so the last episode of Loki, I guess this will be a little spoilery. Um, I liked the king who remains. I thought that stuff was really good. I thought those interactions with Loki were very cool, especially this season with Loki progressing to like mastering how to jump in and out of stories and, you know, kind of conquering time and, and elevating to God Loki, which is such a dumb name for for an Asgardian god. Um, but, you know, I was feeling those God or Emperor Loki vibes. That's cool. I think having him behind the scenes ready to jump out is like this cosmic entity at any point is pretty interesting. That's a nice little seed to have laid. Uh, It will be fascinating if Marvel just walks away from all the Kang stuff. It definitely will be. They could do it very easily. And it's like, it's a whole convergence of reasons you might do it. Um, I think probably, my guess would be for Disney, the major's legal problems and accusations of domestic abuse, probably for them are secondary when they should be primary. But I would guess... You know, the calculus is like, well, if we can still ma- if it's working and we're still making money off of it, we'll do everything in our power to work through those. And now you have the convergence of, well, it's not working. And it looks like we're not gonna make money off it. So now we'll take a principled stand and and do something about these domestic abuse allegations and move on from majors and kang. You could recast, but then again, it's like now you're doubling down on Kang the Conqueror as the big bad of the saga, and just it's what a lot of fans said up front, which is like, guess what? King Conqueror has never been a genuine A-tier Marvel supervillain. Name your favorite King the Conqueror stories. Go ahead, do it. They're not in the top tier of best Marvel stories. Thanos is. Thanos was the big bad. I don't think salvaging the MCU is as simple as replacing Kang with a better villain, a la Doctor Doom. I, I think that is... Very, um, very short-term thinking, and does not do. I mean, I went on a rant here previously, right? It was like the MCU is not ready for Doctor Doom. They don't deserve Doctor Doom right now. They need to get their stuff together before they can they can have anything to do <laughs> with Victor Von Doom. Uh, and and I think to the people who are like, you know, oh, Kang will get, you know, sabotaged by Doctor Doom in an Avengers Secret Wars which I see a lot these days, it's like that already should have been the thinking. You know? Like, that should not be new. Like, if the MCU is only now thinking we have a Secret Wars coming and we think maybe we'll integrate Doctor Doom into that, that scares me. (laughs) That tells me they have no idea what they're doing. That already should have been part of the plan. You literally cannot have a Secret Wars movie and not have a strong role for Doctor Doom. That's malpractice. They should be tried. I'll see them in court <laughs> if that happens. Uh, so anyway, I, it's not as simple as that. That said, listen, Kang is nobody's favorite. Um, he's never been a villain that has carried the best Marvel stuff. I kind of like the way they tried to integrate it. And, and I do want to be clear, too. Like, Quantumania was an awful movie. It's my second least favorite movie of the year. Kang was the only good part of that movie. So like <laughs> like the actual King the Conqueror experience I think is less of an issue than just like the instant multiverse fatigue that seemingly almost everyone got hit with. You know? I, and I think it's... I think there's... A, like the multiverse I think works really well in limited doses... You know, I think it's part of why the Spider-Verse stories, the Spider-Verse movies have had so much success is it's like you get hit with a bur- to burst of multiverse. But in this incredibly centralized character-focused work where the multiverse is table dressing, it's scene setting, you know, it's not – we're not just like bludgeoned over the head with it every three months. Um, the world seemed to have moved on from from multiverse stories like very quickly. <laughs> So there's a convergence to a lot of things happening right now, I think, with how people are willing and interested in consuming superhero movies. Um, I definitely have always been in the camp of comics are way better. <laughs> and it's a miracle that these movies are doing it well and are so successful. I mean, I hit a point from 2014 through you know Endgame where it was like I you literally can't question the MCU anymore as far as like just central narrative goes. Like every time you do, you look like a fool. They know what they're doing. They are unimpeachable. And obviously that reputation has has gone away. Has gone far, far away. Um, so okay. Those are my main my main MCU takes. I'll watch the Marvels next week. Um and then we'll talk about it. And then we'll talk about it. Okay. You know what? You, uh, another thing, I'd written this down. The thing that bothers me about where the MCU is at too. So the Marvels comes out and to no one's surprise because of, again, a convergence of a lot of things, actor strikes, difficulty promotion, this malaise, the superhero fatigue that seems to be hitting the world that has already come for the likes of Blue Beetle and The Flash earlier this year, that the Marvels comes out and then it underperforms box office-wise, right? Now the narrative becoming about how diversity is to blame and how three women leads are to blame. The lesson of all new, all different Marvel, the 2016 to 2017 era of comics, was that, or a key lesson, was that when a narrative arc peaks, a la 2015 Secret Wars, and you then make more of a sincere effort to diversify your fictional universe, you are setting up diversity as a scapegoat for an inevitable come down. When you wait until post-peak, when you wait wait until post-peak to say, ah, now is the time to integrate and diversify, you're setting it up as a scapegoat for an inevitable come down. You're going to come down from those highs. The MCU did the exact same thing. They did the exact same thing, just replaced 2015 Secret Wars with Endgame. And I'm not saying the problem is that they tried to add more diversity to their world. The problem is that they waited. The problem is that they did not do it along the way. That's what drives me nuts. You know? And I, somebody tweeted this a few weeks back, and I like the way they put it, and I'm paraphrasing. paraphrasing, But it was like, I'm sick and tired of mediocrity being blamed for diversity or by diversity. Something, I, maybe I'm getting it backwards. Never paraphrase things you don't understand. Bad idea, especially live. What are you doing, Dave? Um, so anyway – Let's see. Bird Nerd says here, conservative comic nerds raging on YouTube with no good arguments against the call. I mean, that's the thing is like, there's obviously this culture, especially here on YouTube, there's this culture of these failure fanatics who are nothing thrills them more than the prospect of a women led franchise doing poorly. And they have been saying that for years. You know, like what just a miserable state of being all right like what just a sad pathetic human to be um (laughs) let's see sorry i'm in i'm in the middle of this thought and i'm seeing here from hip-hop happens dave manga rhymes with Kawabunga, not jenga or topanga (laughs) did i i don't even think i talked about uh let's see manga Kawabunga. that doesn't so Kawabunga. so it's manga that doesn't feel right That can't be right. (laughs) I'm willing to believe manga does not rhyme with Jenga or Topanga. Although I will say the more times I can think of Topanga and rhyme things with that, the better off I am going to be personally. Um, But cowabunga? manga? Surely manga. I think manga is the alternate pronunciation that I've heard, which suggests to me that hip-hop happens, that you are saying cowabunga. Which now I have to correct you and say no, it's cowabunga. <laughs> Rhymes with oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh boy, I don't, I don't even know what a bunch of bad choices Dave is making on this live stream. Uh, so anyway, cousin Marcus here says failure fanatics is a fire term. Thank you, thank you. I coined that when I was talking about Mark Miller's um, desire to join the right wing culture wars. I like that one, too. Like that one, too, a lot. So, anyway, all right. We don't have to get into the Lamos. Zing. Got them. Okay. MCU thoughts. We'll talk about the Marvels next week. Uh, let's talk about fan casting X-Men, which I, of course, don't have in front of me. And uh, we'll have some difficulty doing. But so in my newsletter this week, I was thinking about 2024. Actually, you know what? Probably, most of you are probably most interested in hearing about the comics came out this week. <laughs> so I suppose I could address those uh, very quickly Immortal Thor 4 is very good I like this issue a lot Immortal Thor is here to deliver Thor core is a blast as is Al Ewing, uh passing the hammer with the old school 60 second rule in play that ruled that was super fun like th- setting the stage for Thor and Storm and Beta Ray Bill and Jane Foster now the Valkyrie and her weird horse that Al Ewing loves, and uh, who's our fifth? Oh, I'm blanking on somebody. But set in the stage for five Thors, and they all have to pass the hammer as they fight Thranos, and have to hold it every once every sixty seconds. If that's like, if that's going to be an issue, I I will just eat that issue up. <laughs> I love that so much. The old school sixty second rule of play I talked about in the third issue, how there was a real old school vibe to this Thor and I kind of like Thor seems to be speaking in, um, Stanley isms and like journey into mystery sixties parlance. And I'm kind of wondering when and how, how Ewing is going to talk about that. Like on a meta level, like, is that it feels like Ewing's so smart that that doesn't feel like just an approach to, um, to writing Thor so much as a deliberate decision about, some sort of meta-commentary on the way Thor stories used to be. Maybe it's got more to do with Loki. You know, Al Ewing is, is with Karen Gillen, chief among the original Loki is God of Stories concepts. Uh, but it, it continues to feel that way here, but I just, I feel like things are building in very interesting ways. Uh, the first issue, you know, this, this, I would say, is the first of the four issues of Immortal Thor, where I was like, oh, this could elevate to instant classic status. I can feel the movement back into Immortal Hulk territory of something that is potentially an instant classic. And that's really exciting. I don't think it's there yet, right? You know, we talked about previously, like, Immortal Hulk, from the first issue, from the first issue, declared itself as, like, yeah, this is going to be one of the best Marvel comics of all time. And then it delivered, which is the ultimate challenge. I don't think Immortal Thor is in that territory yet, but this was the first one where I felt like it could get there. Um, spoiler, obviously, but bringing back Terry Agar, the Minotaur from the the Jason Arenthor run, who Ewing took and wrecked <laughs> in Immortal Hulk, was fun. Bringing in some very meta aspects potentially in play with the Minotaur holding copies of Turning a Mystery, saying he owns all the story. This is a very Ewing Loki approach to comics that I frankly love. I love meta narratives in comics. There are a few things and few structural tricks that I enjoy more as a consumer of comics than putting comics within comics. I fall for it every time, absolutely every time. Uh, the potential that this book could be playing in that way also thrills me. So, and I, I do think it's kind of, so I think Immortal Thor is a harder sell than um, than Immortal Hulk was, right? It is way less direct in its intent, like Immortal Hulk was so clearly and easily defined as the horror Hulk, you know, and the body horror Hulk, and I think Immortal Thor right now is way trickier to do that with, you know, because it kind of just feels like in a lot of ways it's like, oh, so this is this is Al's Thor run, but uh, what differentiates it from you know the the Donny Cates run that just came before or countless Thor runs that have come prior to that. Right. And I think this is the first issue where it was like, Oh, it could be this. It could be that we still don't know yet. Like, I still don't know how to define a mortal Thor. I'm, I'm excited to figure out how to do so. So like, and this is a book too, where it's like four issues in, I wouldn't even put this on, on a best comics of the year list yet. You know, I don't think it's at that status yet. A best Marvel comics of the year. I mean, even that is a push. You know, it definitely one of the most interesting, but it's a lot of the interest is is based on potential, as opposed to what's actually been delivered. And you know, like obviously the the creator has a fantastic track record that I trust. So I'm here for the ride. I like this issue a lot. Uh, Storm continues to be excellent under the pen of Valuing carries over from X Men Red uh, quite well. And yeah, it, it worked for me. It worked for me. Curious about anyone's Immortal Thor thoughts. If you got any theories or things that are going on there. Um, what else? What else? Let's talk about, okay, so Uncanny Avengers did indeed come out. Uh, there was the reveal from Jerry Dig Duggan that Captain Krakoa is who we thought he was. In the immortal words of coach Danny Green, after Devin Hester returned to kickoff as the Bears were on their way to Super Bowl against the Colts, in which they were demolished, Captain Krakoa is who we thought he was. Yeah, it's, it's steve It's evil Steve Rogers from Secret Empire. <laughs> that, was, that was everyone's first guess. It was, in fact, the accurate guess. I'll tell you what. It didn't delay too long, but if you set up a mystery about... Marvel has a bad track record with this, of setting up a mystery of who someone is going to be, and then just like wallowing in that mystery while everyone around them is like, no, we know, we know Jane's Thor. <laughs> it's not a secret. Please don't take 10 issues to tell us that. Like uh, we know, we know general Thaddeus Ross is, is Red Hulk. Please don't spend 18 issues, Jeff Loeb. You're, you're taking too long. So it's like, this is, this is a better example of that. Cause it was only, you know, five issues and change the free issue or whatever. But it, it's like, you, you could have just, you could have just gotten this out of the way. It wasn't a very exciting reveal. Um, I mean, Baron Vinstrucker was in play. Baron Vinstrucker was in play. So I guess you had two options, but yeah, it's evil Steve from secret empire. I, I don't really know what the value of adding this to the fall of X is. I gotta be honest, you know, like, what are we doing? Like that's, that's a cap beat. That's interesting for a captain America focused book, but uncanny Avengers is a set during the gd fall of x and we got real limited space here you know i guess i guess evil steve rogers as a as an orcas tool you know it kind of works with the rogues gallery i don't i'm just not it's just not working i think the series kind of stinks um i think it's actually made some giant missteps i thought the third issue like was really bad that speech cap gave was was a real misfire um I don't care about Uncanny Avengers. I, I hardly ever have, uh, so it's not just this run. You know, the only Uncanny Avengers I've liked is when Rick Remender and Jerome O'Pania got real wild with Kang and the Apocalypse Twin stuff. Speaking of Kang, is no one's favorite. You know what? Actually, like I love that use of Kang in in the original Uncanny Avengers circa 2012. Um, so there, there's a good Kang. But mostly that's because connected to Apocalypse stuff. Whatever happened to the Apocalypse twins? We ever hear from them? I don't think we do. We got Apocalypse roaming around. He's back in X-Men Red. He has a new family. How about your twins? I guess they're not his, are they? They're archangels. Oh, so much wasted potential. So much wasted potential. Yeah, so that's what happened on Kenny Avengers. Listen, the title of this live stream is Don't Sleep on Children of the Vault. So naturally, guess exactly what I did. I slept on Children of the Vault. I didn't read it yet. <laughs> How pathetic is that? I haven't. I listen. It's great. I know it's going to be great. Um, I'm excited to finish the fourth issue. I started it last night. And listen, sometimes you start reading a comic, and and things get hot and heavy, and you're called into action. You know what I mean? As a married man. Sometimes things just get steamy, and you got to go take care of business. And when I say that, I'm saying, yeah, all my kids are sick, and one of them was coughing in a steam-filled room, and I had to go help them. (laughs) And I never got back to reading the comic. So I will do that, because I think Children of the Vault has ruled to date. I fully expect issue number four is going to be awesome as well. Uh, I saw a, a sentiment that Children of the Vault was disappointing Because the vault has been such a crucial part of like the Hickman X-Men run that it it feels, you know, kind of unsatisfactory in its conclusion. And I think I just wanted to address how I feel about that, which is that is in no way Dennis Camp and the creative team on this book's fault (laughs) or issue, frankly. Um, The fact that they are generating an amazing Bishop and Cable book out of an unconcluded – you know, map that was, like, half-drawn by Hickman and a quarter scribbled on by Jerry Duggan, like, that's a testament to their skills. That's a testament to their skills, that they're making a good book out of that. This I think a reality that X-Men fans need to just come to terms with, and this includes myself, is most things (laughs) that were teased that seemed like they had a lot of potential are not going to be satisfactorily satisfactorily resolved. Most of them are not. The creators involved in this rapid-fire conclusion are going to have to pick and choose. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I've got some of the images streaming here, but Marvel released, you know, some some upcoming art from The Rise of the Fall of the Powerhouse of X. And I think Karen Gillan is going to nail prediction, uh, uh, delivering on the promise of certain things like, you know, big conversation between Moira and Omega Sentinel and Nimrod. I think Karen Gillan is going to give us very satisfactory and interesting attempts to answer some of the bigger mysteries of the Krakow era. Al Ewing is apparently going to address the weird giant-sized Magneto issue where he got a strange thing from Namor underwater. (laughs) Because of course he is, because he's Al Ewing. But like, most things are not going to be satisfactorily resolved. I don't think at all. Um, And at this stage, there's only uh, listen. If the writer writing the series didn't isn't the one who set it up, then I don't fault them in any way. You know, if it's a Hickman mystery, I don't fault anyone for not also resolving that. You know, so uh, so anyway, I fully expect Children of Vault is going to be great. Uh, there were a handful of other X books. Obviously, we already did our Alpha Flight thing. We will never do that again. Um, I haven't read Dark X Men yet, and I haven't read Astonishing Iceman yet. Uh, let me know if I should. Let me. That's what I want to hear from you in the comments: is should I? Is Children of the Vault done? I'm seeing it's four issues, not five. That's kind of a bummer, actually. Uh, I mean, on one hand, I get what they're doing; like everything is just rapidly concluding. Uh, but that book was actually good. So it was so interesting. I even like was kind of considering it for this essential Krakoa list. Should we talk about that? What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about 2024 X-Men fan casting for what books there should be and what creative teams? Or do you want to talk about the essential Krakoa? I'm going to get a sip from our sponsor and I want to hear from you in the comments. What do you want to talk about? Our sponsor today is Big Water. We got a nice chilly, half full, 48 ounce Hulk sized water container here. We have filtered refrigerator water. The filter has been replenished and changed in recent memory. Uh, this one feels real good after I just got done mowing the lawn, which is what I did prior to this. Uh, is it nice weather here in Chicago, and is it not dark? No, <laughs> but I still mowed the lawn, and boy, am I happy to have a big glass of big water. Thanks to our sponsor. All right, we're going to do the essential i call. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm deciding here. Uh, the fan-casted creative teams and comics, those are going to go out in the Comic Book Herald newsletter uh, this week. So if you want to get those, go to comicbookherald.com. There's an easy email sign-up. It's super free, and you can see I'm recommending – I'm suggesting five books that I want to see for the X-Men relaunch in 2024. We know editor Tom Brevor is assembling his teams of writers and artists – and we know that certain, probably no current creators are returning. Um, so I picked five titles, which they will not keep it to five. But I I think that that would be an awesome number to start with. Uh, basically, I, my my criteria was like, I want to like go big and not be too restricted by the likelihood of someone joining. Uh, but at the same time, I was not going to do any like hell freezes over scenarios like, you know, Alan Moore's Ecstatics relaunch. Right. Which... Let's be honest, all of us would read the hell out of it. But obviously that's not going to happen. So, all right. Instead, let's talk about the essential, essential Krakoa. Where's my mouse? There it is. Okay. Here's what I've got on the list currently. House and Powers is like our foundation. That doesn't count as a pick. We're talking about all of the Krakoa comics that come after House of X and Powers of Ten. Number one on the list... I've got Dawn of X, Volume One to Volume Three. The reason I included this so that the, the way that works is initially Marvel was publishing those Dawn of X trades, where it would include the first issue of each of the six launch series. So like all the issue ones are in Volume One, all the issue twos are in Volume Two, yada yada, right? And the reason I did it this way was like I think I think a great way into Krakoa is to experience the dawn of X as things were being built. I don't actually think all of those individual books are great picks. I actually think most of them aren't. Um but the the reality is it gives you a sense of what it was like to come out of House and Powers and and feel the Krakoa era being built. And I and I think too it will give you a sense of like, oh I actually love um you know, Excalibur, I should keep reading that, right? I love X Force, I should keep reading that. It will give you a sense of which launch titles you might actually want to spend time with. And yet, like, yes, Vas, I see in the comment Fallen Angels is in it. That's not essential. It's not. And I thought about throwing the, the caveat to the Dawn of X volume one through three, except Fallen Angels. <sighs> Except that just feels harsh. <laughs> like like the fight's over, right? The fight's over. We don't need to kick a fallen angel while it's down. It's already fallen, right? It's its whole deal. Uh, so that I put Dawn of X volume one through volume three as the first pick. Because I, I do think too, like there was a magic and there was just that, that sense of possibility in those early issues. So I, I do actually think that's a great way to just get a feel for, what building Crickhole was like, even though I think in retrospect, we kind of know like, well, those series didn't really pan out the way you thought. Uh, second pick the Hickman X-Men. So this we can do with an omnibus, which is nice. Uh, you got, so you got Hickman's actual X-Men run. You got all the giant size stuff. You got the new mutants issues he wrote. And I think the only thing you don't get is the tennis sword stuff, which comes next which comes next. But like, yeah, you got it. I mean, you're reading the essential Krakoa post house powers. You got to include Hickman's X-Men. That feels like a no brainer. Third, I put Ten of swords. I think for Ten of swords, my rec would be just read uh, the like three core issues and pro and like, I guess read the three core issues and like the Hickman X-Men stuff I think would be enough. Uh, you definitely don't need all the tie-ins if you're loving it. Obviously, that's an option. Um, but we can do that with the of Swords collection. I do think it's actually pretty vital to read for the Krakoa era. You need to know what happens in of Swords, right? You need to know what happens with the Apocalypse. It helps with what's going on with the Rocco. I mean, that that's that's a must, even if you didn't think it worked. Now, number four is where I run into trouble. Number four is where I run into trouble because... Now we start getting into a question of I want to include some of the best stuff of the Krakoa era to show how good it was, but it's not necessarily the most essential. So this is where we run into Hellions. Hellions is in the running for best run at best X-Men run of the Krakoa era, and I don't know that it's actually essential, right? Because there is a difference. Essential, I'm kind of using to mean... Ideally good, but more than that, it is like crucial to the central meta narrative, right? It is like crucial to understanding the what happened of the Krakoa era. Hellions is so good. If I was doing just a best of the Krakoa era, it would be there. If I'm doing an essential, I don't know that it is. But I want to know from you all am I overthinking that? Am I overthinking that? And actually, Hellions should be on the list, and you'll see the, because then because the problem there is then if I want to keep this list to ten, which is stupid, and I should just allow myself to do twelve, but if I keep it to an X, because I'm weird and obsessive, then something has to get cut. So we got to figure out what gets cut. So if it's not Hellions, then number four on the list is the Ewing verse, Sword into X Men Red. Those get the at benefit of being. Some of my favorite stuff of the era and also having like real big continuity ties um, in sword. A lot of big stuff happens. X-Men Red, maybe less so, I think. But you do. It's like you do get the death of Magneto. Um, you get just kind of what planet Rocco is. The pro- biggest problem with the e verse is like if you're just if you're kind of trying to order this stuff, it gets really mixed up in, uh, you know, you really got to mix in E-Wing stuff into like all the other big events that happen for the reading order of it. But I think uh, it's got to be there. It's got to be there. Number five has to be the Hellfire Gala Volume 1. That's got to be there. The first Hellfire Gala was essential. That's where we get mutants terraforming Mars. Um, and just establishing the idea of the Hellfire Gala was obviously a big deal in the Marvel Universe. Now, this this is another one where I consider it among the best, the best of the Krakoa era but not the most essential. And that's New Mutants by Vita Ayala and Rod Reis. I think that is definitely one of the best runs. And again, if I'm trying to just sell moments when it was good, um, I would include this. But if I'm just including, if I'm focused on essential, can I include that? Can I fit it? And then what do I cut? So here's one that I want to cut, but I don't think I can. Number six. Inferno combined with X Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine. This is too continuity and meta-narrative important not to include. But I don't know that I'd really recommend it. Even Inferno to a degree. You know? Like I definitely would not recommend someone read X Lives of Wolverine. Just as a as a friend. <laughs> I would save you. From that. X deaths, I how can you not have the, the Moy return, however much I just like it? You know, how can you not explain that and and have gotten the full Krakoa experience? So I think that one's got to stay in there. I, I don't know any way around it. Okay, and then number my would-be number seven then, but again falls into the same problem as Hellions and New Mutants, is Sabertooth by Victor Laval. I think, again, just an excellent five-issue mini, the first one. Uh, it does have some kind of oddly important continuity stuff as far as, like, Krakoa and Doug and and just the fact that there are these exiled mutants, like, on the loose. But I don't know that I can get there. And then, so our our actual number seven then becomes the verse. So we can combine Immortal X-Men... Judgment Day in Sins of Sinister. One question here would be, do we actually need Judgment Day? I think we do. You know, it's kind of more of an Eternals thing, but there's kind of some big X-Men stuff in Judgment Day. You get a little Sins of Sinister teasing, right, and all that, but you also get the resurrection of Captain America, so resurrecting humans. You get the Phoenix Foundation. You get the Death of Magneto. You get the relationship of Uranus and the planet Arako. Um, and you get, uh, Orcas stepping in and, and kind of their turn is like saviors. So I think you need judgment day as well. And then since it's sinister. So the number eight becomes the, the X-Men Hellfire Gala 2023, essentially the beginning of the fall of X. I, the fall of X is kind of tough. It's actually really tough to summarize, you know, like if you were going to give someone again, like one book to summarize the fall of X, I th- I think it's that hellfire gala issue. It's, it's super essential. I don't think like maybe the next issue of Duggan's X-Men, if they, I don't, maybe they've released this. I haven't looked up yet, but if there is a, a fall of X trade that includes like the gala and the free comic day issue and X-Men number 25, the Duggan written one that probably go best here to summarize the fall of Magneto. And then my number nine is going to be the fall of the House of X and the rise of the Powers of 10. Like, unquestionably, obviously, I haven't read it yet, but that is going to be the last. So that leaves, that means I can include one of these three Hellions, New Mutants, just the the IL stuff with Rod Rice, and, uh, and Sabretooth. I have a feeling the crowd here is going to say Hellions. My gut says to get to 10. I honorable mention New Mutants and sabretooth and I include Hellions. Let's see. Bernard here says, dude, this essential read list could be really tough for new readers. <laughs> is that true? Is that true? Because like, the goal here is to summarize um, what's essential over the course of a four-year period. And a lot of comics having been released, you know? So, I mean, I guess you could, you could shorten it even more if you really had to. I don't know that you could. What are you going to fast track? Like, I I don't, what would you cut? You could cut the Dawn of X stuff. You could say, all right, forget it. Just jump right into the Hickman X-Men, then Ten of Swords. I guess you could cut the Ewing verse if you're a sadist. Then go to the Hellfire Gala Volume 1. And you gotta include Stupid Inferno X Lives. Could you cut the whole Gillen verse? Like a monster? No. But could you? You probably could. I listen. Listen. JJ says that's a lot for a new reader. I think you're underestimating uh everyone. <laughs> I think when folks ask for an essential walkthrough, there are versions of fans certainly who are – here's the thing. The type of fan I think who would hear a list of what I've I've suggested and say that's too much reading for me, they don't really want a real list of comics. They want a video that explains them all to them. That's, that's what I think of that type of fan. Listen, if you don't want to spend all your time reading comics, I got no time for you. <laughs> My harshest judgments in the world come for those who do not want to waste all of their lives reading comics. Don't understand them, never will. I've, listen, the real way to do this, the real way to do this is to follow the full damn reading order on Comic Book Herald. Obviously, the real way To get caught up on the essential Krakoa is to read every damn issue in that reading order until your eyes bleed. You read all of Fallen Angels. You read all of X-Core. All right? You read all of... I don't know if there's another one that I don't like that much. uh, Of X-Force and Wolverine. You read that 8,000-issue saga. You do it. You like it. Okay. (laughs) I am fast-tracking and curating this as best I can. Now, I can't go any shorter than this. Plus, it's an X. Um, that's interesting. Some people are like, no, this is not This is not essential. This is too much. This is not too much. Come on. To catch up on 40 years of comics, you might have to read some comics. We can't do less than that. Can't do less than that. That's crazy. Bonkadoodles. I'm out here thinking, can I possibly cut anything? And you're all like, ah, oh, just read, uh, what, what would you even include? The cut, the cut crowd. What would you even include as essential? Just the Hickman stuff, House Powers, Hickman, uh, Inferno. Jump straight to Fall of the House of the Rise of the Powerhouse. That's crazy. Stop it. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, you're probably you're probably right. I mean, there definitely are gonna be readers that uh, that don't actually want. That much content. <laughs> but again, I listen, I have been this way all my life. The history of Comic Book Herald is a history of suggesting more to read than most people want. The, the history of Comic Book Herald is saying, if you don't like to read comics, I don't understand you, and I don't want to. And damn it, we can't change history. I do think you're underestimating new readers a little bit. I think, I think there is going to be, a especially with the rise and fall, I think there's going to be a big crowd that, like, was there for House and Powers. They fell off, and they want to get back into it, and they're curious what was cool. I think that's going to be a pretty big audience, um, and I think they're going to want to know. Like, leaving out, for example, like the Hellfire Gala is like leaving out a pretty crucial experience of reading through the Krakoa era. You could just tell them. Oh yeah, mutants terraform Mars, but that's not. You don't get the same joy. You don't get the same moment of of wonder and awe in the Pepe Larraz art. Having someone tell you what happened in a comic is is the worst way to experience a comic. Shouts to YouTube. Uh, it just, I man, I, I could not cut this any less. Uh, you have to you have to give a sample platter. You know, it's a flight of beers, right? It's a flight of beers. And then you double down on the ones you liked the most. You don't have to keep going. If somebody starts reading X Lives and they're like, why did this sadist include this? That's fine. Move on. Move on. But yeah, I, I think, uh, let's see, Hip Hop Happens says you could tier it, base essentials, extended essentials. Yeah, you could. It's an option. I'm not going to do that that's <laughs> a good idea uh, but I don't want to do that I think. listen I think 10 come on y'all can't handle a listicle of 10 we can do that we can do 10 I think I'm out here trying not to cut Sabretooth and New Mutants y'all are telling me to go less than 10 unbelievable <laughs> JJ says if you had to suggest Batman to a new reader in 3 volumes what would you use uh, see again I, I would cheat I would absolutely cheat I would say uh, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, and the Snyder Capulo Batman Omnibus. <laughs> you gotta go big. You gotta you gotta sing in the comics. You can't be reading four issues at a time. Like a child. Like a child reading The Dark Knight Returns. Four issues. That's for babies. <laughs> um it, I actually What you listed here, Hush, Court of Owls, and Nightfall. I'm not a hush hater. I think the comics critical community is is primarily composed of hush haters. At this point in time, I am not one. I think it's a very good get-to-know-Batman comic. Uh, Court of Owls is a very good introduction. I don't think Nightfall is a good introduction. Um, Nightfall is very continuity-dense and a very, very much a product of its era. I think. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with Nightfall. I'm not a 90s baby, but I'm not like in love with it. I don't think it's fantastic, but that, that one, I would say no too. All right, there we go. There's the 10. Okay. So I think based on the questionable feedback <laughs> received on this call, uh, I'm going to include Hellions. I'm doing it and I'm going to make honorable mentions of New Mutants and Sabretooth. And that'll do it. The, the other thing I did, kind of, I was thinking, you know, because I was thinking about this essential list, and I was kind of looking back, and I was thinking about um, just like, what are the present day perspectives on House of X and Powers of Ten? So I asked on Twitter, uh, uh, "What do you like better, House or Powers?" And I kind of thought this would be mildly competitive. <laughs> I did. Uh, it was not. Seventy-four uh, percent of voters picked House of X, 26% picked powers of X, powers of 10, I guess. And uh, there were 375 votes uh, in a few hours, 75% about went house. Now, once I actually thought about it, cause in my head, I was like, I think I like powers more. Like, I think I'm more of a powers guy. I like the cosmic intrigue. I like the wild sci-fi elements. I like the potential of that more, but those are not actually better comics. I think if you're rating it on potential and like just how much excitement it generates about what it could be, I do think Powers wins. But if you're just saying what's better, it's unquestionably House of X, (laughs) which I guess the voting bore that out. I mean, House of X number two, instant classic, perfect comic book. House of X number four, instant X-Men classic, perfect X-Men comic. House of X number six, fantastic X-Men comic. It is it like is there there's no like especially valuable reason to separate them, you know I understand that like it works really nicely as a package, um, but the how the modern what I think is interesting about it is like the modern set in the current era house stuff is is handled a lot better and you would actually think given Hickman's reputation for world building and sci-fi and big ideas that that would be the side of things that was was perceived as better in Powers of the Ten. But actually, I think the the kind of broad perception now is just like that was kind of confusing. <laughs> and because it was never actioned upon and never delivered on by Hickman, who might be the only person in the world who fully understands it or might not understand it himself and thought, well, maybe one day I'll get to it. And literally no one in the world fully understands it. You know, but because it was never delivered upon it, people think people are like, well, that was kind of like cool potential, but never really got it. You know, it really went anywhere. House stands on its own. It doesn't need to have gone anywhere for it to be excellent. I think I might actually have underrated House and Powers, like as a standalone thing. Because when I ranked it initially, like I, I love that series. And when I ranked it initially, I think I put it like in the 130 best comics of all time camp. You know, I didn't put it inside my top 100. And looking back now, like, because at the time, I think the initial ranking, I was kind of thinking like, well, let's see how this plays out, right? Like, let's see where this goes. And, you know, once the full Hickman X-Men run is done, then I can rank the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I'll probably like that even more. And obviously that future did not come to pass. Uh, So, you know, I think looking back on it, if you just take, if you take the 12 issues, if you take House and Powers and you try to remove it from everything that came after, just judge it on its own terms. That is some excellent comic book making. Not not breaking ground here, but like, that is about as perfect an a X-Men event as you could possibly write. You know? I think I might have underrated it, even. Let's see, Birdnerd says, Hockbox has rated the best X-Men comic book according to the Battle of the Atom podcast. Is that for real? They rated it their favorite? That's surprising. Because that that group has a a real love for the history of X-Men comics, I think. It's not a bad, it's definitely, I mean, I I might agree. You know, like, listen, if you're, if I'm actually going to sit here in the year 2023 and you're going to say, what do you want to read? Dark Phoenix Saga or Hoxpox? It's no question. Not even close. I'm reading House and Powers. Now, if you put it in another way, right? And it's like critically evaluate the material, you know, it's a a different discussion. But if you're literally just like, just what do you want to read? You know, um, it's kind of always going to be House and Powers. Like, I don't know that there's any, it does seem crazy (laughs) to say House and Powers is the number one out of 800 plus ranked X-Men comics. And they all do a good job on Battle of the Atom. I've heard that before. Um, But it is kind of like, well, what's better? What would you? What would you? If you put it just this way, what would you rather read more times? That's kind of hard. It's really hard, actually. Uh, Kyle asks, "How much of this era is top ten X Men overall?" Um, probably just House and Powers, and X Men Red is in the ballpark. If you, if you let me combine Sword and X Men Red, the full Ewing verse, I think that comes the closest. I don't know that it gets there, but its I could make a case for it and probably would. But otherwise, I, don't, I mean, Hellions, obviously, I like a heck of a lot. Is it a top 10 X-book? It might be, which is wild. Um, I mean, because to be a top 10 X-book, you got to get ahead of the best Claremont stuff. You got to get ahead of, like, Ecstatics. You got to get ahead of... What else do I have super high? I don't know, I'm not even looking at it. Um maybe it's not as hard as I'm thinking. Are X-Men comics any good? I don't know. We should ask somebody. Um You probably you could make a case for Hellions in the top ten. I'm not bothered by that. I'd go I'd go Hellions and, and the the Ewing verse are the closest to being like I, I do think when people are looking back on this era and they're like, What are the must read comics? You know, kind of like I'm doing with The Essential here. But definitely in a few years' time, I think X-Men Red's really going to stand out. Pretty perfect superhero comics, I think. All right. Get in your final questions. Get in your final thoughts. Yeah, I'm really not bothered by calling House and Powers the best X-Men comic of all time. I thought it would be more. It seems like mildly sacrilegious. But, I mean, there's there's obviously elements of recency bias to that. You know? But, I mean... It was that good. It was that good. Uh, Okay. I think we did it. Good job, everybody. Uh, I do have... We we talked plenty. I got more good comics. I think we've talked about some good comics already today. So I I feel like we're covered on the positivity front. Weren't too critical today. I even held back on Uncanny Avengers. Uh, Okay, what's good? Just real quick. uh, I'm reading the graphic novel The Talk by Darren Bell. It's excellent. It's definitely going to be on my best of 2023 list. That's my pick for you today, The Talk by Darren Bell. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. We're going to keep trying the Thursday thing. We'll keep trying it. Hopefully, I'll remember um, to read the comics beforehand next time. Can't promise that. It's going to – you know, listen, we're all setting new habits, new routines, almost a new year. Oh, we won't – no, no way we're doing this on Thursday next week on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Please please break away from your families. And uh, join me this Thanksgiving for we can we can watch the Lions and we can talk comics together. <laughs> that doesn't sound bad. That does not sound bad to me. Uh, but no, obviously that's not going to happen. So, all right, everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I am thankful for you for being here, for making these streams possible, and for continuing to enjoy the comics. Thanks, everybody.